Welcome, everyone, to our podcast, whatever time of the day you're listening to it. We're glad you're here. Mike and I, where we take a hold of our Bibles, and we take a hold of the newspaper, and we try to bring them together and answer some of your questions. So, we've got a couple questions, and so we're going to take one right off the top. Mike, this person's asking this question where they're saying, we debate in our family a lot about... What does it actually mean to be a Christian? And they've agreed as a family, you know, believing in Jesus, trusting in him, following him. But then the question that many people have, which is, what about people who never hear? Now, obviously, it doesn't refer to them or most anyone in America. But what is the question? You know, how do we answer that? So I'll start, Mike, then you jump in. All right. We'll do. Okay, so to start off with, and the confusion usually comes as people read the Old Testament, because the danger, as we look at the Old Testament, is to think that those people somehow were saved by works, what they did. Uh, But we know that's not the case. It can't be the case. And Romans 4 goes way out of its way to explain that's not what happened. So Abraham is called the father of faith. What's the essence of faith? It's responding to what God says. So to Abraham, God said, come, follow me. I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you a land. And he expresses his faith in God through his life and action by saying, okay, I'll trust you. I'll follow you. I'll believe the things that you've revealed to me. I'll trust you. So Romans 4 says that it was reckoned to him as righteousness because he believed having faith in God, which is the key issue, right, Mike? Correct. Okay, so then the question is, what would we say to people who never hears? Well, what God promises is that he gives some kind of revelation to those people. Now, I don't know what that would mean, but for Abraham, it meant that he followed God and did what he said. For Noah, it meant that he built an ark. Was he saved by building an ark? Or was it the faith that built the ark behind it? That's right. And the answer is? The faith. It's always the faith. And so, Paul says, we are justified by faith. So, Abraham is the father of faith. Everyone who follows Jesus are people of faith. Then the question is, what can you not believe if you want to come at it that way? Well, anyone who's heard of Jesus, they can't believe something other than Jesus. That Jesus is God in the flesh, dying for our sins, making us right. No one can say, well... I don't need to believe that because Abraham didn't believe it because God's revealed that and God's word is in probably 99% of the world. So it's a 1% question, quite frankly. Um, Most everyone has heard the name of Jesus everywhere in the world and God promises that is anyone who seeks after me with all their heart will find me. That's That's a promise in the Bible. That's right. No, that's exactly right. God promises that he will find every heart that's open to his. And you have examples in the book of Acts uh, for instance, where there are people that were God-fearers, right. whether the Ethiopian eunuch, whether Cornelius uh, the Roman, that and, and because of their openness to God, revelation was sent to them. Paul in Romans 1 and 2, even before he gets to 4, b- starts to build a case that, that general revelation, the revelation we have about God through creation, and the revelation we have about God through our own consciences, uh, is sufficient to make us all without excuse. And we in, in, to move into atheism, let's say, is, is a uh, move that suppresses the, the clear truth that's within us. And so you have um, all sorts 
sorts of hints in the New Testament. And even in the Old Testament, you have Rahab, you have, oh goodness, uh, you know, yes. Hosea, you've got the whole city Ruth. of Nineveh, Ruth, but the city of Nineveh, where obviously God hears the cry out, he sends Jonah. Now we have the whole Jonah story, but the whole city of Nineveh, and many turn to God. So right. we don't have every story of God in the Bible, That's but you right. have stories of people who are crying out, and clearly God reveals his truth to them. And then John goes, uh, in his gospel, he goes so far as to call Jesus the word, the logos. The logos was a Greek word that meant literally the rational principle that gave the universe intelligibility. There isn't a bigger, more epic word that you could use of Jesus than that word. And so the idea is there isn't one single place where Jesus isn't already found. So it's not like we show up. It's not. It's improper to say, hey, we're bringing Christ to these people. Oh, no, Christ is there and loves them far beyond we. Uh, um, and, and, and so there's this, you know, it's not like God shows up. Mm-hmm. We show up to the work that God's already doing. There you go. So there's our beginning of an answer. Write us back if you have more questions. Mike, here, this last week, we talked about being a saint. Ooh. And, you know, it was wonderful because... Too often, and I had a great story of a guy who comes, is literally his wife's dragging him to church before the service starts, and he says, I'm tired of you taking me to churches because all they ever tell me is I'm a sinner. And then at the end, he has to stand up and say that he's a saint. He comes out going, I love this church because it's different. You know, the difference of I'm who I am in Christ. But somebody wrote and says, okay, I get that I'm forgiven, uh, but... Don't we have to give an accounting of our sins as a believer? I became a Christian as a child and most of my sins, you know, have come after I'm a Christian. I know that I'm a new creation, but, you know, what about my sins? Don't I have to give an accounting for my sins? Absolutely. And and it, that's important to understand because there's a sense, and Paul addresses this in the book of Romans, there's a sense that once you understand biblical grace, the natural response is, you mean I'm... It, I'm forgiven for all of it. There's nothing. Why would I then work to be good? Why not just take advantage of this? And uh, there is a clear, one of the ways you answer this is that there's a clear thread in the New Testament that talks about the fact that we are held accountable. We looked at this in the Matthew series, in the parable of the talents. There's the the resources and the stewardship. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about it in terms of church leadership. There, There is a stewardship that we're held accountable for. However, those accountability questions are separate from our fundamental identity. What Jesus has done is that the end of time verdict that will be pronounced over us as righteous, as holy, as saint, as in Christ has now been pushed forward into today. And so as we're beginning to learn and to trust and to live in light of who we already are, of course we all stumble in many ways. Of course we don't deny we're without sin. And of course there is a judgment where we give an account for the works done in the flesh, as the scripture said. But that account is not tied to the condemnation that comes uh, from uh, failure to have faith in Jesus, the condemnation that comes by still being in our sins. It's not an identity question. It's a right. stewardship question. And, and those two things are fundamentally different. And condemnation may be a different word, much more of an affirmation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The picture of that accountability is much more a picture of affirmation and well done you did great and there's a sense of okay you missed some things on that but there look at all of the great things and so it's a picture of an affirmation and reward uh, picture but there is a sense of missed opportunity and the second thing that i would say is the reason that we don't want to sin is because sin continues to hurt and that's what he talks about in romans you know 
why don't we just, because we're free, just live any way that we want? Because every time we get involved in sin, it hurts us, it hurts the people that we love, we deny who we are and who we're becoming. Quenches and grieves the spirit. That's right. It quenches the spirit, but it damages our soul. It damages other people. Right. Sin always leaves wreckage in our life. And God doesn't remove all of that wreckage. He right. forgives it, and he is willing to redeem it and to help us move uh, to, to, to help us learn from it. But that wreckage stays in people's lives, stays in our people's lives. We don't, wanna, we don't want that in our life. Right. And it's fundamentally no longer who we are. We're going to talk this week about what it means to be adopted right. uh, uh, into Christ. And, you know, the, the, the tone of the invitation is this very parental, like, that's not who you are anymore. And, of course, it, it offends God, and, of course, it grieves the Spirit. But even deeper than that, it is no longer congruent with our fundamental identity. And so, uh, absolutely agree with that, and, and both are true. We right. give an account, absolutely. And that, that account no longer defines us before God. Right. Then the last question, Hawking, who is this genius guy? Cosmologist. And he has pronounced that there is no God, there is no eternity, because... Well, he said, <laughs> he has this great quote that came out yesterday, uh, Monday, we record this on Tuesday, so yesterday doesn't mean anything to you. Uh, there is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. He says, I look at the human person as a computer. He says, there's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And I, and I think this is a common view among uh, the atheist crowd, that this was all just kind of invented to give ourselves comfort. And uh, every now and again, we want to comment on this stuff because how you respond to uh, a line of argument like this, I think, I think is very important because I think the thing you don't want to say to Stephen Hawking is, well, it's just all faith. Uh, because what he's going to say is, that's, that's right, religion's based on faith and my view is based on science. And the last thing we want to say is that faith isn't a form of knowledge and that science is the only way you can accurately know things. Science is built on faith as well. We're, we make hypotheses that we have to test. Our empirical data uh, is based on assumptions that cannot be proven themselves scientifically. And so, so the last thing we want to do is set up a faith versus science kind of dichotomy. And we don't want to look at Stephen Hawking and say, well, you know, you're right. We, science maybe says something else, but faith tells us, nope, there's an afterlife. And just in, in light of, you know, blinded by our faith, we will just go ahead and choose to believe that against evidence. I think a better tack would be something like, we, we have a suspicion that we are not our bodies. We have a suspicion that there's an identity, there's an us-ness that's different from my body. I can say that I've lost an arm, but I wouldn't say that I've lost me, right? There, I, I have an arm. There is, a, there is an implicit, um, very clear sense that we have that we're not our bodies, that you can lose body parts, you can reshape body parts. All of those body parts matter, and yet my fundamental core hasn't been touched. Secondly, and uh, just as a point, as you're, because we get the opportunity to do many memorial services or stand with people in the graves, no matter what they believe beforehand, their language is very interesting at that moment. That's good. Because they'll say, 
He's not here. Right. She's not here. That's right. Even whatever they believed. I've known people that absolutely don't believe in afterlife, but they'll say they're not here That's anymore. Right. That's right. Exactly right. And, and you know, 99% of human beings have known this. And it's only recently that a few Western intellectuals, usually men, have come to the conclusion that all of this is, is made up. And, and that's fine. The question we would ask is, okay, what evidence is – if we're nothing but computers, then – how do we get how do we get freedom how do we get rationality how love. do we get morality love relationship i mean if you're going to postulate a cause that is nothing but material you cannot have an effect that's greater than the cause that's just a fundamental rule of science for us we look at the effect and say gee we're moral uh, we're free we're rational there's something interpersonal about us and if we're going to go back to posit an effect or a cause that's responsible for all of this then you get the very beginnings of a, of a theistic being that is rational and that is free and that is moral because we exhibit those same characteristics and so Whenever we come across this stuff, we just want to be very careful not to play into the idea that it's faith versus knowledge. We just want to say there are many ways to know things. Science cannot prove that I love my wife. Science can observe, and I could act lovingly towards my wife, but I could act lovingly towards somebody I can't stand. Science cannot prove uh, that I delight in pralines and cream ice cream, <laughs> that it gives me pleasure uh, or that Kenton loves coffee more than he loves life itself. It yeah, cannot prove those things. So, so there have to be room for other ways of knowing. And one of the ways we insist you can know things is testimony and revelation. We believe that somebody could say, hey, this is true. And though I've never been there, if they're credible, I take their word for it. And this Jesus, who uh, is the one who's only come back from the grave, that testifies to the reality of an afterlife. We believe he's worth placing confidence in. And as you come to that conclusion, then we take his words on the things that seem pretty crazy. And so it's a great conversation uh, starter as opposed to an in, uh, conversation ending Ender. point. That's right. Because when he says there's no afterlife, you get to say to someone, does that fit with your experience in life? Do that's you right. have a comfort? Do you feel comfortable with the sense of you die and that's the end of it? When you go to a, a funeral memorial service, you stand in a graveyard, uh, the people that have gone before you, do you have a sense that that's it for them? Or do you believe there's something more from you? And do you have a different way of thinking, like Mike talked about, and say, well, but how does that explain love, relationship, uh, other things? And then what it does is it enters into a conversation with the very person who's saying, hey, look at that. What you believe as a Christian isn't even on the table. You go, well, is it? And then it's a dialogue starter, I think, and a wonderful dialogue starter. So uh, we just want to bless you guys, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, uh, with the idea that you are ministers, you are missionaries, and you are ambassadors, and a fundamental part of church is to equip you for the ministry God set right before you. And so we are thrilled that you would tune in. Please send us things you'd love us to talk about because we want to be helpful. So God bless you wherever you are today. Thank you. Bye.